Let us pray. And so, Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we invite your presence into our midst in this time of um, grief in the life of our church, losing so many of our members in recent days. We know that you are near with us, um, that you will strengthen us and renew us in hope. Even as we look to the truth of your word, to your gospel, we ask that you would renew us and strengthen us and, Lord, fix our eyes upon you. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everyone. Just in, for some of you that came in right after I did the welcome this morning, I um, just want to make sure I share with you that um, our sister Connie Odoms went to be with the Lord about 7.15 this morning. And so... Um, Obviously, funeral plans are incomplete at this point as we have more information. Um, we'll be sure to share that with you. Please continue to uphold Connie's family in prayer at this time, um, especially Connie's daughter-in-law, who was very much a daughter to her, Michelle, who actually left for Manchester, New Hampshire yesterday uh, to prepare for her mother's funeral on Tuesday. Um, so again, please uphold the whole Odom's family in prayer during this time. I do want to also thank everyone who came out and helped with our food giveaway yesterday. Yesterday was the big one, in a sense. We gave out um, 250 turkeys to our neighbors and guests who have food insecurity in the area, and we served, I believe, 319 families yesterday morning. They got um, non-perishables as well as um, turkeys. When turkeys ran out, we gave them chicken. Um, fresh bread, fresh produce, all of those things. First Fruits Farms gave us a ton of um, potatoes and some other vegetables. And they also had bread they had gotten from a, another resource as well. And some of you may not know First Fruits Farms is a, um, a ministry in Maryland up near the Pennsylvania line in B northern Baltimore County, Maryland. And was founded about 25 years ago by a man who's a Jewish convert to Christianity. It's a 200 acre farm. And everything they raise is donated to churches and food pantries to help those who have food insecurity. And so um, we're very grateful for the partnership we've been building with them since last year and um, looking to add them into our missions budget and also maybe plan some field trips up to First Fruits next year because one of the things they do is um, they supplement um, their harvesters that work for them um, with volunteers from churches in the region. So we'll be looking at that in the days to come. I have no idea. Um, we got over a thousand pounds of potatoes, so we can, whatever potatoes are worth, and we get whatever they have in season. Um, I, I think in terms of what folks get, usually folks leave here with, I think we estimated about um, $40 to $50 worth of groceries each, each, each bag. And then again, turkeys yesterday. Yes. So and all the turkeys were between 11 or 12 and 17 pounds, I believe. So, um, so thank you all for your generous support and for serving yesterday. I also just want to um, comment on our wonderful visit by our, our new bishop, Bishop Chris Warner, last Sunday. Wonderful, wonderful time. Did you all enjoy having him, him with us? 
look forward to many more of those visits in the days to come. Um, I would encourage you, if, if God touched you or blessed you in a particular way, you may want to send just a short note of encouragement to him and um, just, in, just to build him up as well. My sermon today will be a little bit shorter than usual. Please don't clap for that. Um, and then um, after the passing of the peace, we today, or not today, this month is National Adoption Month. And as part of um, our ministry through our local chapter here at All Saints Church of Anglicans for Life, we will be having um, several adoption testimonies um, from folks in the church who have adopted children. And then also, um, please be planning ahead. Next Sunday, November 19th, we're taking a special offering for the Anglican Adoption Fund. And this is um, a ministry that's under the auspices of Anglicans for Life that I've been very involved with. Um, and they give grants to folks from ACNA churches, there's an application process, and I'm actually on the committee that reviews those. Um, they give grants to folks within ACNA churches throughout the US and Canada who are in the process of adopting a child to help them um, somewhat offset the cost of adoption. Um, how many of you know adoption can be pricey at times? And so it's a wonderful, wonderful ministry, but we will be taking an offering for that um, next Sunday. Um, and 100% of what we collecting that offering will go to the Anglican Adoption Fund for grant money for families in the adoption process. So looking today, as you take out your Bibles or devices with scripture on them, at our gospel reading from Matthew 25. And this is a parable um, set very close to the events of Jesus' passion. And this parable falls into the category of what is known as eschatology. Big fancy word. Eschatology is simply the theological term for the Christian doctrine concerning the last things. That's what eschatology means, the last things, or the study of the last things. Eschatology is generally, generally divided into two categories. There is individual eschatology, so talking about the individual person, and it relates to the individual um, destiny of people, heaven, hell, the last judgment, depending on whether they are in Christ or not. And then there is, which is what we hear much more about in the world around us usually what is known as general eschatology, which focuses on the big picture. Not only the ultimate destiny of human beings and the world in general, but also the church with a focus on Christ's return and the ultimate establishment of his eternal kingdom as we read about in many places in scripture. Now it's not my intention today to delve into the various schools of theological thinking regarding eschatology. And frankly, while this is important, um, I think it's something that often consumes way too much of our focus rather than simply focusing on living for the Lord and being prepared. I'm going to talk about that. Eschatology can be controversial. And one thing scripture is quite clear about is that no human being has ever had it all figured out in the realm of these things. Nobody, nobody gets it all right. All that being said, when we look at this parable, there are some very important life lessons with application for us regarding our Lord's return. And I want to focus on three of those specifically for a short time this morning. The first lesson is this. The bridegroom in the parable, speaking of Jesus, is the Lord of time and history. This fact is resoundingly clear in this parable. God alone knows and has set the timing of Christ's return. In Matthew 24, 36, we read this, but concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. 
And then a little later in verse 44, excuse me, verse 44 of the same chapter, therefore you must also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now to be clear, the return of our Lord is something that will be real, actual, physical, and literal. Christ will return physically to the earth. And the, his timing, the timing of his return, clearly as scripture says, whenever that is, will take many people by surprise. The return of Christ is not something that is simply figurative. You will hear sometimes folks with uh, more progressive theologies, to put it lightly or kindly, oh, well, the return of Jesus is just the spirit of Christ in our midst. No, that's not what God's word says. And that would be the same people who would do things like deny the resurrection the physical resurrection of Jesus, so the reality of heaven and hell. Um, it all kind of starts going down the same road as a package. These events that we're talking about here in the estimation of some may seem delayed. The general expectation of first century Christians was that Christ would return in their lifetimes. And in fairness to them, from their limited frame of reference at that time, that was not an unreasonable way of thinking. Think of the words of the angel to those first disciples in Acts chapter 1. While they stood there gazing to heaven as he went, behold, two men, that were angels, stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Clearly, the bridegroom Jesus is the Lord of all time and history. And that brings us to our second and third points this morning. Second point is this. The wise hold to God's promises with steadfast obedience. In this parable, the idea of wise and foolish is not about intelligent or intellectual capabilities. Rather, it's about making prudent, God-led decisions. Wisdom that leads to godly choices godly ways of being, godly ways of thinking, and godly ways of doing. W.D. Davies and Dale Allison in their commentary on this text says this, true readiness for the Lord does not mean holding fast to the expectation that he must come shortly. They don't say he may not, but that he must. But it means prudently taking into consideration the possibility that he delays. And if he delays... How do we live and order our lives as the people of God? In today's parable, the prospect of a delay is what brings into focus the distinction between those who are wise and those who are foolish. And this is very much akin to the parable of the wise and foolish builders in Matthew 7. I'm going to turn there for just a moment. Matthew 7, verses 24 through 27. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell. And great was the fall of it. 
The idea here is that we need to order our lives and build on the firm foundation of our Lord Jesus Christ, knowing that as we build on him, whatever storms come this, our way in this life, whatever trials and persecutions come our way, we will stand and endure in our Lord. Now, what Jesus talks here about with um, the bridesmaids and all of that would have been very familiar um, in a much more direct way to the people in that day because in traditional Palestinian village weddings, not just then, but even into modern times, the custom was for women torchbearers led by all of the bridesmaids to go to the bride's house. And they would go to the bride's house and they would wait for the groom to arrive. They didn't know, they don't know when the groom is going to arrive. It may be in a matter of minutes or an hour or two, or it could be an extended period before the groom arrives to the house. But then when the groom arrives, the bridesmaids escort the bride and the entire wedding party, and they all process with torches to the groom's house. This can be a pretty protracted and lengthy process. They don't hurry weddings like we do in our world where it's, we're done in an hour and move on. Weddings are something that become a very protracted and lengthy event. Um, similar in other parts of the world, other than Palestine as well, when my wife Tammy uh, first went to Ecuador as a missionary a lot of years ago now, not too long after she arrived, she was invited to a wedding, an Ecuadorian wedding. And she got there, as would be the custom in this country, about 20 minutes before the time the wedding was scheduled to start. And the church was empty. I mean, there was nobody there. Nothing was set up. Nothing. And so, you know, 45 minutes later or so, some of the guests started to trickle in bit by bit by bit. The bride didn't arrive until two hours after the wedding was supposed to start. And hear me, I didn't say the wedding started. I said the bride didn't arrive until two hours after the wedding was scheduled to start according to the invitation. But in Ecuadorian culture... For the bride to show up earlier, to show up quickly, is a sign that she's in too big of a hurry to get married. Yeah. But the wise, and the wise virgins here in our parable had enough oil in their lamps or in their torches to sustain, sustain them no matter how long the arrival of the groom might be. So what's that say to you and me? not just about our Lord's return, but also about living the Christian life. I think it says that the Christian life is about steadfast, steady obedience. The Christian life is about daily pressing in with the Lord. It's about an ever-increasing by God's grace in our lives, an ever-increasing and right ordering of my life priorities and your life priorities. And if we do that, if we keep our eyes fixed on the Lord, if we're seeking to press in with the Lord and to know him more and more day by day and to be continually transformed, then we don't have to be concerned with the timing of our Lord's return, whatever that might be, nor do we have to worry about somehow being surprised as it at his return. Because it's about yielding to the ongoing sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit what the late pastor Eugene Peterson calls a long obedience in the same direction. God is calling you and me to be about our Father's business, 
to be about the priorities and the work of his eternal kingdom. And if that is our focus, then there is no need to worry about the nearness or even what is perceived as a delay of our Lord's coming. Whenever the day of the Lord comes, we will be ready because we're about the work of our Father. What we really need to ask ourselves is if we are yielding to what God wills to make of us and do in and through us. Erasmo Levatus Maricacus, who I know I've quoted, I often quote when I'm working from Matthew because he's such a wonderful um, set of commentaries, really devotional commentaries on Matthew. I know his name is a mouthful, but he says this, which ties into some of these concepts. Pure oil that gives the brightest flame flows only from the depth, the death of many crushed olives. And such too is the case of the lamp of my person. At the end of our lives, when God judges the secrets of men by Jesus Christ, we have to be able to offer up more than mere intentions or vague desire. We have to be able to offer up to God the richly combustible substance of a living, loving human heart. Then shall it be consumed by the blazing conflagration of God's divine love, which seeks only one thing, to do the will of God. Those exercising godly wisdom will hold to God's promises in steadfast love and obedience and live them out day by day. And the third lesson, the foolish were presumptuous and short-sighted. You see, the foolish ones in this parable, they presumed that they knew the mind of God in terms of things that scripture is absolutely clear are relegated to God's knowledge and prerogative and to his alone. No one knows the day or the hour. You see, they did not have their eyes fixed on the Lord and his horizon. Now what I mean by that, and I've talked about this with biblical prophecy, as, as Christians, as we look at biblical prophecy, or even as we think in terms of the return of the Lord, we look out across what might be figuratively mountain peaks in the distance. We have our eyes on what is to come, and that is completely appropriate, but we see the peaks. And we don't know from our limited human perspective, even as you perhaps have stood in the Rocky Mountains looking out across those peaks or somewhere else in the world, we do not have a perspective of whether the gap between each of those peaks is very, a very narrow valley or a wide plain. Only God knows that. Only God knows that. We need to fix our eyes on the Lord's horizon and what he's calling us to. You see, the lamps of the foolish ones went out because there was no reserve. They acted according not to godly wisdom, but to their own presuppositions and expectations rather than being spiritually prepared. And they failed to obediently prepare and await, prepare for and await God's timing because they were not fully yielded to God and his timing. They were not prepared for a long obedience to discipleship in the same direction. And they were not, if you will, prepared to run the race to the end and finish well. You know, the runner of a marathon runs very differently and strategizes very differently than someone who runs a sprint. Right, John Peterson? A sprinter is going to pour all of his, her, her energy into that first burst of running because you've got to get down the field 50 or 100 or 250 yards. 
So you've got to use all of your energy and exhaust it right now. But someone who runs a marathon or a triathlon knows that they need to pace themselves, that they need to conserve and use their energy um, in a way that involves stewardship in a sense because they've got to not only get through those first few yards or those first few kilometers or miles, but they've got to save that energy so that they have enough for that burst at the end after a very long race. And that's what these foolish ones in the parable did not do because they didn't bring sufficient oil. They didn't receive sufficient oil from the Lord. The oil we're talking about here is not from human strength, but it is the oil, the strength that the Lord pours in. And as we seek to fix our eyes on him, as we, we condition our hearts for a long obedience in the same direction, whatever the Lord's timing on things, he will be our supply and he will strengthen us his mercies and his refreshing and his power will be new to us every morning. And as we do that, we will be like those wise ones in the parable who are found ready, who are found waiting for the bridegroom, who are found about the Lord's business even until that very moment by God's grace and God's power. So may we prepare our hearts to serve the Lord and not fret about the Lord's timing because if we're doing his will, we can be at peace and we don't have to worry because when we, he appears, we will be ready. We will be ready and we will not be taken by surprise. Let us pray. So Father, thank you for your promises that are absolutely true that in your eternal time scheme, our Lord Christ will indeed return. Prepare our hearts even now and quicken us to be about your business in steady, steadfast, faithful obedience, daily yielding afresh to you and to your call to be about our master's business, not just in this church, but in the world that many would come to know and many more would be prepared. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.